Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm here on staff at the parks. Um, it is really cool to uh, be able to do this this morning. Usually, uh, I'm kind of zoned in, locked in, playing um, guitar back here, and uh, they decided to give me a microphone, which is very different uh, this morning. Uh, and I have to say, I have already, um, you have already ministered to me so much. Um, typically, when I'm, when I'm locked in, I have my, my, my earbuds in, and I can't hear all of you singing, and I could this morning. And that was really encouraging um, to know that I have a, a faith family here, um, a, a communion of saints singing out and worshiping God together uh, was just a, a beautiful moment for, for me. So thank you for that already. Um, as I was uh, thinking about um, this morning and, and um, you know, wanting to, to preach on something that was very fitting for uh, Independence Day, I thought, you know what? The prophet Malachi. Got to be the prophet Malachi. I mean, when you think, when you think of, uh, of uh, you know, things that are like patriotic, like, uh, you know, shooting off fireworks, uh, blowing up 30-foot tall bald eagles. Uh, if you saw that out there, that's, that's an impressively tall bald eagle. And then reading Minor Prophets, it just kind of goes together, right? Um, now, if you would open up to, to Malachi, uh, we'll be at the end of chapter 2. Um, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that this is what we do. We preach through books of the Bible. Um, sometimes we take breaks and, and preach through topics, but it's typically a book uh, of the Bible. And preaching through that, um, we feel like it, it kind of causes us to preach through things we might not normally preach about. Um, and so we'll be in Malachi chapter 2. Um, as you're turning there, also a quick reminder, um, next week... Um, after the 1045 service, um, we'll, we will have intro to the parks down at the Commons. So if you're new or new-ish and uh, you want to learn a little bit more about our heart and our vision, you want to connect with some people, maybe ask some questions about the church and all that kind of stuff, um, I'd encourage you to go to that. Kind of from here on out, it's gonna, we're going to have intro to the parks the first Sunday um, of every month. This month is a little weird because it's holiday and everything today. But uh, next Sunday, come and check out intro to the parks if you are new. So if you would stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's word, um, you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me, um, starting in Malachi 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Uh, if we're just talking about like 
you know, you like something that like most people don't like, you know, we're not talking about anything sinful or anything like that. Uh, don't believe in guilty pleasures. Uh, you like what you like and you should just own it. That's kind of my uh, mentality. So my uh, guilt-free guilty pleasures are one of them uh, is I love sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Um, not ashamed, not ashamed. Um, those epics like uh, Star Wars, uh, Marvel, and my favorite of all time is Lord of the Rings. Um, and I understand that this isn't for everybody. Some people are just artistically uh, deficient, and you have bad taste. I can't, um, it can't be helped. Um, I, I should also, I should point out, um, one of my spiritual gifts is sarcasm. Uh, I'm very gifted also. Uh, so if you, if, uh, if you take things literally, uh, some of the things that I say, uh, well, We'll work through it. I know, I know, I know we can do that. Um, uh, no, I, I love these kinds of uh, epic stories. And I know, I know this is going to be controversial for some of my Star Wars fans because um, you think that Empire Strikes Back is the best movie. But uh, I think it's Return of the Jedi, the last, the last movie. Um, and uh, it's actually, for any of these kind of epic stories, I always love the final installment. Um, and I love it because I love, um, I love the conclusion when, when good finally defeats evil, when there's justice and things are set right. Um, my love of these uh, good versus evil epics might be a little a little extreme. I get into it a little bit much. Um, I'll, I'll neither confirm nor deny that in Avengers Endgame, I, I might have cheered audibly at some point. And uh, I might still kind of tear up when I watch Return of the King. But uh, still, statistics bear out that I'm not alone in my desire for justice. Um, crime dramas, think police or lawyer shows, are consistently some of the most watched TV shows, and, and that particular genre actually is one of the uh, has a, one of the largest shares of, of the TV market, about a third, um, according to, to one estimate. And why is that? Because all of us love and long for justice, and I mean it's it's even embedded in our national identity, right? Like liberty and justice for all. That's kind of one of the things today uh, is is about. Um, and we can identify our longing for justice, not just in um, the things that we watch or read, not just in our national identity, but even just our gut reactions to real-world events and, and issues, right? We hear about corruption among the powerful. What's our response? It, it inflames something in us. Um, we think or we, we believe that some people are stripping away our rights and freedoms, and we are ready to fight back, to fight for justice. We witness the innocent being abused and exploited and killed, and a holy anger wells up in our soul for justice, right? Now, I guarantee you that different, different images or, or perpetrators kind of popped, popped into our minds when I mentioned those things, corruption, stripping of rights, uh, uh, abuse. When I mentioned corruption, did you think government, left or right? Maybe you thought big business. Um, when I mentioned the, the rights and freedoms stripping away, do you think progressive authoritarians and cancel culture or populist authoritarians and national, nationalist extremism? When I mentioned abuse and exploitation, did you think of the unborn, migrant workers, sex trafficking? See, the desire for justice is embedded deep in us, but there is so much confusion surrounding it. Everyone kind of has the things that they want to call out and, and say, well, we want to do justice about that thing or that thing. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot of confusion in our culture about justice for at, at least two reasons. One is that we don't even have a clear standard for justice. Like, whose standard of morality are, are we going by? And can we even have a, a shared standard if our culture is going to, at the same time, tell us 
do what feels best for you uh, and pursue your own truth. Right? If it tells us that, it's going to be hard to have a, a shared standard by which we can then go and do justice. And the second thing is we don't even uh, – it's not just that we have an unclear standard. We don't have a clear sense of what justice is for, uh, what we're trying to achieve in doing justice. Um, is justice about uh, punishing wrongdoers or is it about uh, lifting up the downtrodden? Or is the just society the one that has the, the fewest restraints and most freedoms? So is the just society one that has the most happiness, that has the most equal distribution of power? These are all different ways that people think about justice. And so since there's all this confusion, rather than actually working towards a just society, this confusion produces really a self-righteous outrage culture, which parades as a culture pursuing justice, but really it's just well, we want them to get what they deserve, and we want them to get what they deserve. And no, 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 we want them to get what they deserve. It just, it, it just builds outrage. Okay, I want us to get biblical. I want to jump back in, in, in Malachi. We saw that justice was mentioned there. And I want us to see how ancient Israel also struggled with confused ideas about justice, which led to a misuse of justice. But also, I want us to see how God steps in, kind of sorts some things out. So up to this point in Malachi, um, we've seen that first, uh, and, and we have to keep this in perspective, the whole book is first framed in God's love. Framed in God's love. He starts off by, by telling Israel, I love you, I chose you. But they have not loved and honored him in return, and he calls them out on it. He says, you've given me blind and blemished sacrifices and second-rate worship. You've been faithless to your covenant with me, and even faithless in your marriage covenants also. I mean, he doesn't mince words. He's calling them out. So how is Israel going to respond? Well, we see that in verse 17. Let's look at that again of, of chapter 2. So you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Uh, congratulations, Israel. God literally does not faint or grow weary. See Isaiah 40, 28. You guys figured it out. You did it. Uh, you beat the odds. No one else could do it. But Israel figured out a way to weary God. <laughs> um, now, obviously, in, in Malachi here, he's using some uh, poetic hyperbole. He's kind of going over the top. Um, you know, God literally can't be tired. Um, but... Uh, Israel's beating him down with, with, their, with their words. Figuratively, they're just coming at him, and he's just like, oh, are you serious? <clears throat> and, and so after God calls out their, their, their sin, they're really just following an age-old stratagem. Dispute, distract, complain. God calls them out on their sin, and Israel's move is to dispute it, try to distract from it, and complain about it. And God is just like, Please, please just stop. See, first they dispute. You can, you can almost like hear it in, 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 in their response. What? No, not us. Whatever could we have done? Okay, if, if you're going to try to dispute something with like a fellow human being, sure, maybe. You know, we, we are fallible. We might make mistakes. There might be misunderstanding. Uh, and so maybe you can dispute that if someone brings up a charge against you. Um, but God is God. So no. 
Next point. That's, 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 that's pretty much straightforward. I mean, they're trying to dispute with God. No, you're not going to do that. He's going to come back and say, no, I'm God. Here's, here's some reasons why. So second, they try to distract. Now, uh, look, look closely at this. They, they, they say, uh, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. What, what are they really saying? Now? What are they getting at? Well, they're pointing to everyone else. Essentially, they're saying, well, what about those wicked sinners? Nothing is happening to them. I guess God actually approves of that stuff after all. So what's he getting mad at me for? It's just a distraction tactic, pure and simple. Don't look at what I'm doing. Look at them. And then actually kind of mixed in with that uh, distraction is their complaint, right? They're like, where is the God of justice? Does he even care about what is right and wrong? Is he even present? Can he even do anything about it? So they, they use justice. They use outrage actually against real actual evil, right? We know from the rest of scripture that the nations around them are wicked and they do evil and they are sinning, but they're using that as pretext. They're just using that to distract from their own sin. And in doing that, they're actually complaining against God that he's not doing anything about those other people. And I want to point out that there is actually a really big difference um, between what, what they're doing and what, what occurs in the Psalms a lot. A lot of the Psalms talk about um, you know, being, being confused, wondering about what God is doing. So I want to take a look at a few of these. Um, Psalm thirty five seventeen. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Okay, there, can we look at the next one? How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Okay, next one. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So even there, they're even talking about justice. They want justice, and they're like, God, where, where is it at? And the, the last one here. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. And that shows us the big difference. They are talking to God. They are addressing God himself. The Israelites here in Malachi, they're talking about God, right? None of what they say is directly to God. They're talking about God over here um, on the side. And so at the end of the day, the psalmist they know that God alone has the understanding and power to right wrongs. But here there isn't a trust that God is their father with their good in mind or that he is the creator and king over all things with the power to rectify all injustice and wickedness. Are they really concerned about justice? They, they, they just complain, which does nothing but build up bitterness, like plaque. They're just hardening their hearts truly. And I, I think Israel right here, they're actually kind of acting like a child. Um, some of you who are parents, I imagine there's been some time where you confronted your, your kid with, with, with something and they did these, these things, dispute it, um, distract, and complain. And so I'm, I'm still uh, a fairly new-ish parent um, my daughter is uh, only al- almost 20, 20 months old, um, <clears throat> and we have another on the way. We should find out this week if it's a boy or girl, which is pretty exciting. Um, <clears throat> and I, I'm, I, I'm trying to prepare myself for the day when I, like, I catch my daughter doing something wrong. And, and I say, Emily Grace, come here. I, I saw you do ABC, and, and you know that's wrong because X, Y, Z, and blah, blah, blah. 
And she's going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm, the nostrils are going to flare, the eye's going to twitch. And I'll be like, no, 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 I saw, I saw you. I saw you do it. And she's going to be like, well, what about, what about what they did? You, you know, my brother or sister, I don't know which one it's going to be yet. What it, did you see what they did? They did some, something wrong too. And then they're gonna, she's going to walk up and say, dad doesn't even care about what's fair. He doesn't care, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to try to lose it. I, I, I will lose it. I'm going to try not to. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably will. But I'm praying right now, Lord, give me grace. Um, but that's, that's, that's kind of what's happening here. You know, in that, in that um, hopefully not future scenario, um, my daughter would be, would be seemingly calling for justice. Um, but really, she's just unable to confront the truth of her own sin. That's what would be happening. And this is an important thing for us to remember. Malachi um, is not talking to the world, or to the culture, right? Because it'd be easier for us to kind of stop and be like, yeah, there's tons of people out there who are, are, are all self-righteous and they're trying to call out, you know, things for justice over here and they're just, you know, sinners. Um, Malachi is bearing a word from God to the people of God. This is what we do. We, the church today, this is still what we do. And Paul knew about this proclivity amongst God's people, um, that, that we would do these same kinds of, of, of tactics. So in Romans 1, uh, he's teaching, Paul's teaching how all people know God at, and his law at a basic level, and they revolt against him by worshiping created things and, 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 and creatures rather than the creator. And he knows that his audience would be like, would be like yeah, those idolaters, we need to call them out. And then he flips it on them in Romans 2. Oh, so let's look at Romans 2, uh, verse 1. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on, uh, on, on uh, another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul flips it on us. So we need to do some, some self-examination here. So let's think about this. What banners of injustice do we rally around? Um, when I think about this, there's, there's a handful that I think the evangelical church calls out a lot. A lot of injustices that, that we um, get, get inflamed and impassioned about. Um, abortion, unlawful violent riots, distortions of gender and sexuality, religious intolerance, cultural Marxism, and critical theory. And, and all of those are, are, are evil or wicked or distortions of the truth in some way. But when we rally, are we doing so in a Micah 6-8 kind of way? Micah 6-8 um, says, we know, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? When we pursue justice... Are we doing it with kindness? Are we doing it with humility? Or are we trying to distract God from our own sins? By saying, hey, look over there. Why don't, why don't you do something about their wickedness? When in our own hearts and churches, maybe we fail to fully reckon with racism. Maybe we have glorified man-made power and machismo. Maybe we've covered over sexual abuses in the church. Maybe we've excused greed and consumerism as virtues, which actually better all of society. Maybe God's tried to call us out of those things, and we say, what about those things over there? Happy Fourth of July. 
they're probably not letting me do this again. Um, hey, Kyle said Malachi has some hard words for us, right? Um, and we want to lean into that. So we, we want to recognize that it simply is the case that when we are confronted with our sins, we regularly try to dispute it or act surprised about it. We uh, try to distract God from our sins by putting on these fake airs of, of, of righteousness and, and anger against injustice. And we complain about the state of things rather than humbly talking to God. So how does God respond to this wearying pretext and pride? He says, fine, you want justice? I'll give you justice. Bam, bam, bam. You're all evil. There's no hope. No, no. Thank goodness that's not what he does, right? Let's look back in, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So first, God says, I'm going to have to send a messenger to, to preach, to prepare the way, to clear the way for me, because y'all have made a mess of things. I like to pretend that God says y'all. <clears throat> um, then the Lord will come to the temple. And, and here, um, Lord is different than the proper name of God, Yahweh. Whenever you see in your Bible, um, Lord with all capital letters, um, that's Yahweh. That's the proper name of God. Here, there's, there's lowercase letters, and, and that's referring to um, the king who would come in the line of David. The one who Israel would have hoped would, would do justice, would be their savior. This is the, the Christ, the anointed one. God's saying, he is going to come. Your cry will be answered. But, verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Right? God's kind of saying, you know, do you, do you, really, want, do you really want justice? Because do you know what that's going to mean for you truly? You who also are sinners. Um, Psalm 130 verse 3 um, says almost the same thing. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is obvious. No one. No one can stand. If you're really confronted with a, a holy and just God and you are caught in your sins, you cannot endure that. So then... How is the Lord coming good news at all? Is it good news? Yes, it is. It is very good news because the Lord is also the messenger of the covenant. If you, if you see there in, in, in verse 1, it says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. It's the same person that he's talking about. And God is a covenant-making God. He is a God who's about forming relationships with his people. And, and in that relationship, in the context of that relationship, he's making promises. He promises to love them. Remember, this whole book is framed in God's love. He promises to love them, to save them, to redeem them, and to purify them, even from the mess they made themselves. So, so look, uh, continuing in, in, in verse 2, he says, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. <clears throat> so God knew about their second-rate worship. right? He, 
He knew about their faithlessness. He knew their cry for justice was pretext to distract him from these things. But he would not reject and destroy them. Israel's move might have been to distract and complain and all that stuff, but God's first move is to purify, to redeem, to make them fit to be his children once again. So we see here, he says he's going to start with the priests, that's the sons of Levi uh, that are mentioned here, until actually all of Jerusalem and Judah had transformed hearts, until they no longer offered God their backups, but joyfully gave him their best, until they would give him pleasing offerings. And and God is not just trying to, you know, force them in in something something, um, that's not good for them. He's trying to draw them in to his love until they get to the point where, um, I don't know if you've, you've ever, um, you know, you, you, you've loved somebody and you know that if I get them uh, this gift, they would love it. They would love this particular thing. And so I just want to give that to them because they're going to love it. And you get like excited about the fact that you get to give them this thing. And they get it and they open it and they are excited. And so they're excited. You're excited that they're excited. And there's just a bunch of happiness and joy all around. And that's what God wants for us with him. They might have hardened their hearts and wearied him, but he was going to prove that he doesn't ever truly weary. He never tires. His love never lessens. What he wants is their joy. And he wants their joy to be found in him because he knows he is the fullness of joy. He's the only source of life and love. So he wants them to come in and enjoy him. But we also need to know that this process of refining and, and purifying, it's not easy. To refine gold and silver, you have to burn it. It has to go through fire and be melted down and the impurities wiped off. And, and the fuller or the, 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 the launderer, um, what they would have to do is, is, is take the, the cloth and they would literally trample it, stomp it down and scrub it with a, a kind of soap. That's not necessarily a fun process, But what's at the end of it? Joy. Enjoying the creator of the universe. For ancient Israel, this was a future promise. This is what God was going to do. For us, it's a present reality. Um, There's a lot of uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that they point to something in the future, and it's kind of unclear exactly what it's referring to. This is not one of those passages. All the Gospels are actually very explicit that uh, the, the messenger to prepare the way that's, that's mentioned here first is John the Baptist, which would make Jesus Christ the Lord, the messenger of the covenant. Now, we read Psalm 130, verse 3 a second ago, but I want us to look at 3 and verse 4 together. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This is, this is the important part here. But with you, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. As we hide from our sins and try to self-righteously point out the sins of others, calling for God's justice, God could easily say, you want justice? So be it. And we'd be gone. But God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. He would send his own son for us so that we could have life with him. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, our sins are atoned for. 
we are forgiven. And as we walk with him day after day, he's purifying us. He's making us new. Like I said, this isn't necessarily an easy process. The New Testament actually says this process is like dying. It's dying to yourself day after day. But each day you're being renewed and given new life in Christ so that there is fullness of joy at the end of that process. So thanks be to God that though I may question his love for me, he never questions his love for me. Thanks be to God that the pitiful offerings I lay before him are overshadowed by Jesus's perfect offering of himself. Thanks be to God that though I regularly reject him as father, he accepts me as his son in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God that my breaking of his covenant cannot stop the inbreaking of his kingdom. Thanks be to God that my false cries for justice are silenced by Jesus's cry for forgiveness. Thanks be to God that my hard heart of stone now beats along with the life of Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus. All right, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that your first move is to not not reject or, or to judge me, but to purify me and draw draw me in. That's what he offers for each of us. God's first move is to purify, but his final move is to judge. We do have to keep that in mind as well. We see this in, in, in verse 5. It says, Then... I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Right? He's, he says, he's, I am going to judge. At the end of things, there will be a day of reckoning. Evil cannot persist with God, and we don't want it to, right? We don't want evil to to reign. We want God's kingdom of peace. So we are right to long for God's justice, for him to rid the world of wickedness and set things right. We are right even to pursue justice so long as we are doing so as redeemed people with kindness and humility. And we are even right to wonder why he's taking so long. One of the last lines of scripture actually is a prayer that Jesus would come quickly, right? We, we want Jesus to come quickly. We, we, we know that this time of, of confusion and outrage and all this stuff, it isn't how we want things to end, right? And so we can, we can become, um, we can have doubts that, that God actually is going to come and set things right. But God assures us, of this, I want us to, to look at Second Peter 3, 9. This is really important for us. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In this kind of time that we're living in, in, in between Jesus' first coming to redeem and purify and his second coming to judge, we have at least two important tasks that God has given us. And the first we see right here. God is patient so that more can come to share in his grace. And if that's the case, we need less outrage and more gospel proclamation. We need less pointing the fingers, yo, God, look at them, and more beckoning in. Come on in, there's grace over here. 
That's the opportunity God is giving us right now. Joining the outrage will only produce more. We can and should engage conversations about justice. But if we are arguing uh, the merits of Scripture as the best standard of justice, which it is, or that, biblically speaking, justice has to do with both punishing the wicked and lifting up the downtrodden, which it does, but there's no grace, there's no gospel, there's no love in our words, we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Kind of pointless. The church has to be a justice-doing, truth-speaking, but also a love-overflowing community. That's what the Lord is calling us to. That's what he himself does. So just as the Lord does not lead with justice, but, w- but with grace, so too must we lead with grace, with the gospel. We need less outrage and more gospel proclamation. And the second task, I think, God's leading to us, um, we see it in Romans 2, chapter 4. Paul says something very similar. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In this time of waiting, we need to examine our own hearts and press more deeply into Christ. We got to examine our own hearts. There's no need to dispute our sins. Or try to act like we don't know what God's talking about when he convicts us of our sins. When, when someone actually, even from outside the church, is pointing out our faults, we have no need to justify ourselves. We've been justified in Christ. We have no need to try to distract God from, my, from our sins and take on this pretext um, by, by saying, well look, well, look over there. We can put that away. We can put away the pretext, the pride, and really the self-deception. That's, that's, that's what it is. We often deceive ourselves that, no, we're fine and, and the problem is out there. No, the problem is in each of our hearts. That's where the problem is. That's where sin takes root. And that's what God is wanting to, to justify, to, to, to cleanse. So we have to, to really take the truth of, uh, of 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Do we actually believe that? Because the church that believes that is going to be the church that, that when their sins are called out, they say, yes, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that, that I've turned against you. I'm so sorry that I've, I've, I've revolted against you, that I have been unfaithful to you. No, we want, we want the church that, that is going to, to come and lay those before the Lord and know that he is a loving and forgiving God. He is He is. He's so ready to pour out his grace. So we don't have to hide. We don't have to distract. We don't have to dispute. We don't have to complain. We don't have to do all that stuff. There's a freedom in that, right? That, that, um, that God is so loving and gracious that we can just say, yes, Lord, I, I am a sinner. And you still receive us as your sons and your daughters. That's incredible. So we know this is a process that that purifying that refining is going to hurt it's dying to ourselves but what's at the end of it got to keep that in focus it's life with god it's fullness 
of joy. It, it's, it's being able to not be trapped in, our bond, in, in bondage to our own sin and to our own uh, agendas or anything like that, but that we can live in, in, in the life and the love of God. And that's better. That's better than anything that's, that's, that's here. We need to pray, really, the, the, the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we want, church. We want more gospel proclamation and, 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 and more people who are willing to not distract from our sins anymore, but to turn to the Lord in humble repentance. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, forgive us that too often we have jumped in to the culture doing exactly what the culture is doing and we've taken up uh, this self-righteous outrage. It's not of you. Help us to, to, to not feel like we need to, to distract or, or, or to dispute the, the, the sins that we have, have committed, but that we can come to you knowing that, that you want to cleanse us. You want to purify us. You want to redeem us. You want to make us your sons and daughters. And there should be a freedom in that. God, give us that freedom that we get in, in you, knowing that, that yes, we, we've done wrong, that we have, have hearts that actually desire things 100% contrary to who you are. And yet, while we were your enemies, you died for us. Lord, we, we thank you that Christ came to redeem the lost, the sinners, and, and we readily admit that we are the foremost. But we thank you that in our confession, we are justified. You are so overflowing with love that we can't even fathom that you are so willing actually, actually to go out of your way to draw us in. I pray that our lives would be marked by, by joy, by lives that are, are so willing to, to give our whole self as, as an offering to you that, that we would, would experience the joy that, that, that we have in your delight of us. I know for many of us, that's not what we're experiencing. But I pray that it would be. God, make us into a people who are so full of your grace that we can't help but to share that with others. That in the midst of our confused and broken world, we would come in it, into it with, with grace and with the love that comes from you that we have received first in Jesus Christ. God, we trust that that is a better way to restore our broken world than anything else. So Father, as, as we go from here, 
Help us to be this kind of people, this, this kind of people that is, is intent on, on sharing the gospel, that has no need for self-deception, but that is just in love with you. And we know again that you are faithful and just to forgive us, to sanctify us, to lead us into your glory. Love you, Father. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.